Greetings. Good morning. I am Pastor Ransom. I'm so thankful that you've joined us here at Grace Presbyterian Church. We're continuing in our series in Kings. I'm actually finishing 1 Kings today, and so um, over the next couple weeks we'll be transitioning into 2 Kings. Uh, just as kind of a background to where we're going to be, I'm going to be reading for, from 1 Kings 22, verses 5-14. through 14. That's going to be the selected passage I'll be reading this morning. We're going to be covering basically the whole chapter. Uh, between what happened last week and now, a king, uh, Ahab, King Ahab and Jezebel have been continuing in their wicked ways. Uh, they've been on, uh, com- completing several different schemes and, and uh, their wickedness is, should be apparent to us. Uh, in the meantime, Ahab has begun a war with Syria. It's been going on for an extended period of time. That's uh, important for this passage. Uh, what is, uh, I think, a good little side note to mention is the, the passage just before uh, 1 Kings 22, we see a moment, a moment in time where Ahab actually repents. Um, uh, it, it, in the passage, it's, it's 1 Kings 21, 25 through 29. The author makes sure you understand that Ahab is one of the most wicked kings, along with his queen wife, that has ever uh, sat on the throne of Israel. He makes that note, and then it says that, that the word of God uh, actually penetrated his heart for just a moment. And so uh, we're, we can learn from that 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 no one is outside the reach of the Word of God. Now, repentance and those kinds of things worked a little differently in the Old Testament, and so it's hard to tell how long or what to extent this repentance affected Ahab. Uh, but we can see from this passage, there's some things that still have not changed for him. Um, here in 1 Kings 22, King Jehoshaphat, and that's with a P-H-A-T, in case you're wondering, uh, he is the king of Judah. He has come uh, up to Israel for a state visit, and so he is visiting with Ahab, and during this visit, Ahab is trying to convince him to take a city, a, a city from Syria. The name of the city is Ramoth Gilead, and uh, so he's trying to motivate Jehoshaphat to go on this military conquest with him, and so what we can tell from some of the context, knowing about this city, that this is likely uh, motivated by greed. Ramoth Gilead is a center of trade and it's a, a crossroads for, for a lot of goods and resources. And so Ahab is, is trying to convince the king of Judah to come with him at, on a money grab. Um, what is great is that Jehoshaphat, and we'll see this later, is faithful to Yahweh. And before he'll give in to this request from King Ahab, he wants to hear from God. And that's where we pick up here in 1 Kings 22 verses 5-14. through Allow me to read the passage to us and then we'll dive into some study. Starting in verse 5 of 1 Kings 22, And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Inquire first for the word of the Lord. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah the son of Imlah. 
Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Shanana, you know the one, made for himself horns of iron, and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Assyrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with, uh, words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your words be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Lord, we need You. We need Your Word. We need Your Word to speak into our lives, not just to encourage us and tell us who You are and how we might be saved. We need Your Word to scrutinize us. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that we would sit under that scrutiny, that we would allow the Word of God to cut to the quick, to teach us and show us our sin and then to remind us of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that through that work of the Spirit, we would be nourished this morning by Your Word. Thank You for speaking to us in this way. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This passage, uh, there's no really moral to the story in this passage, and so this passage is a story, and I believe this story can act as a great diagnostic tool for us. Alright, so we're going to look, kind of like we did last week, look at each character, and I believe that as we look at each character in reference to the theme of the passage, we can get a pretty clear question to ask ourselves about our response to God, our response to the Word of God specifically. So this passage in Kings, the whole book of Kings, the, the, the focus has become more clearly to me as I've been studying it is obey the Word of God. <laughs> obey the word of God. And so as we look at Jehoshaphat, we look at Ahab, we look at Micaiah, there will be questions that we can ask ourselves to help diagnose for us how we stand, where we stand with the word of God. So let's take a look at good old Jehoshaphat first, verses 5-7. through seven. What's happening here? Again, Ahab has called his prophets in. I want to just make a note here. The, the word sycophant means someone who will do something for their own benefit these prophets are sycophants. Okay? They are people who are basically paid to tell Ahab what he wants to hear. And so as they are prophesying, they're saying, hey, you're going to go up there, king. Go get him. You're going to be victorious. Jehoshaphat is suspicious. So he sees all these paid prophets and they're over-the-top message of positivity and something isn't quite right. Something's not right. Something's not settling with him. How does he know that the words of these prophets does not match up with the Word of God? You see later in this chapter, 1 Kings 22, verse 43, this is an evaluation of King Jehoshaphat from Judah. He walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. You see, Jehoshaphat was faithful to Yahweh. He had a connection, a faithful connection to God. He listened to the Word of God. He listened for the Word of God. And when the Word of God was not being declared by the paid prophets of Ahab, he knew something was up. He could recognize it. His connection with the Lord allowed him to be able to know what the Word of the Lord sounded like. 
Now, before I give a couple examples of that, I, the question then for us that we can use as a diagnostic tool from this character Jehoshaphat, can we recognize God's Word? Can we recognize it? I, I was thinking while I was reading about Jehoshaphat and his ability to discern, that's not from God, and that is from God. I was thinking about the church at Berea. You can read about them in Acts 17. Uh, very quickly in verses 10 and 11 of Acts 17, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in, the, in Thessalonica. They received the Word. Listen to what they did. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Why are the Jews in Berea called noble? Because they didn't take the Word of Paul and Silas and decide how they felt about it, just generally. I like what they say. I don't like what they say. No, they went to the Scriptures themselves. They went to the Word of God to weigh and measure the veracity of what Paul and Silas were talking about. And so we, like Jehoshaphat, we, like the Bereans, we must be on a journey toward familiarity with God's Word. We have to know God's Word. We have to know God's Word when we hear it. Because I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I'm just talking about myself right now. It feels unsettling to think about the idea that I could hear a truth or read something on Facebook or, or see a meme or, or hear something on the news. It's unsettling to think that that could be told to me as a, as a truth from the Bible and for me to envelop it in my view of God and my view of my theology and my biblical worldview and have it not be anything of the sort. Have it be completely the opposite. Untrue. Not from God's Word. That's unsettling to me. It should be unsettling to you. And so we have to understand what is the remedy for our ignorance on that? What is the remedy for that lack of familiarity? If you're not familiar with this, there is this website called Snopes. S-N-O-P-E-S. -E and the, the goal of Snopes is to scour the internet and find uh, pieces of information that are declared as fact, and then to measure, weigh and measure whether those things are actually true or not. Now, is there a Snopes for Snopes? I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it's Wikipedia. Who knows? But I want to say, we have a Snopes. We have a source for factual information. We have something that can tell us whether something is from Scripture or not. We have the source material. We have the Bible itself. I quoted this verse several weeks ago, but listen to this, Ephesians 4, we have the apostles and the prophets, that's what this is, we have the letters and the teachings of the apostles, the letters and the teachings of the prophets, we have that, the, the scriptures, we have the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And what does the knowledge of the Son of God do? It brings us to mature manhood the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's what we're talking about. If we don't know what's in the Scriptures, how do we have an anchor that holds in a world where there's so many different sources of information? How do we know what is scriptural, what is biblical, what is the very Word of God if we don't know the Word of God? Can we recognize God's Word? 
the question then would be, well, okay, Ransom, I want more of that. I want more certainty as to what is in the Bible and what is not. I want to know what is the Word of God and what is not. I want that discerning ability. How do I get that? How do I have an anchor that holds in the sea of our culture? Listen, there is no substitute. There's no substitute for the regular digestion of the Scriptures. And so, for those of you that are very interested in having a a deeper biblical knowledge, here's what I suggest. I suggest that you have your slow and steady, but, but, um, what am I trying to say? Your slow and steady intimate times with God that don't worry about getting content. It's just a matter of spending time with your Father and allowing Him to love you. I, I suggest you have that. But I also suggest that every Christian have this regular way of digesting the entire Bible through a, through a period of time. I find that the, the CBR plan, the Community Bible Reading Plan, which allows you to go through the Bible once every three years, it's very steady. It's very doable. And, and over the time of your life, you will intake every word of this Bible several times over, giving you familiarity with what is in there and what is not. The more we read the Bible, the more we read the Bible, you see, that's not about increasing our holiness factor with God. It's not about, wow, God, five times through, boo! It's not that at all. As we read the Bible, what do we do? We become more and more familiar with our Father's voice. That's the end game. It's not about being holier than someone else. Or, or, or even sitting before God with a tally. No, it's about knowing your Father's voice. I want that. How can we recognize? Can we recognize God's Word when we see it? Now, knowing what the Word of God sounds like is only part of it. Okay, <laughs> I want you to think about Ahab. Ahab knows what the Word of God sounds like, but he hates it. <laughs> he hates the Word of God. And so as we look at Ahab's reaction here to Micaiah, um, and, and his prophecy, we can have another diagnostic question. The diagnostic question for us is, do you detest God's Word? Do you detest God's Word? Ahab detests, hates God's Word. Think about Elijah. Last week we saw Elijah show up. He'd been looking for Elijah. The drought was ongoing. And what does he say to Elijah? Is it you, O troubler of Israel? Is it you? What is he saying in that moment? You have brought the drought. I hate that you've brought the drought. I hate that this is God telling me the truth. I hate the message that God is bringing. He does not like it when God messes with his stuff. And God does that primarily through his word. And here with Micaiah, he knows where the word is coming from. It says here, is there not another prophet from the Lord whom we might inquire? Jehoshaphat wants to hear from God. And Ahab said, knows exactly what he's talking about. Verse 8, he says, yes, there is. There is one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. He knows that Micaiah has the ver- a contact with the very Word of God. And yet, what? But I hate him. He never prophesies good concerning me. You see, the world hasn't changed that much. Ahab is the quintessential 21st century person. 21st century person. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 4. For the time is coming when people will not endorse sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off in myths. That is Ahab. (laughs) 
he accumulated for himself 400 teachers to tell him what he wanted to hear. This is our current times and culture. If we don't like what we hear, we send that person away. We send that message away. We only want those things that tickle our ears. Only those things that, that uh, uh, suit our own passions. Anything that was opposed to what Ahab wanted to hear, he shut up and shut out. Do we do the same? That's a diagnostic question. Do we detest God's Word? Throughout Scripture, this way of living, resenting truth, resenting the Word of God, hating it, knowing that it's true, but still hating it and not wanting to hear it, is the epitome of evil and foolishness. That's how Scripture presents it. And so the question then is this. And I would say that in some ways... Ahab was actually onto something. Sometimes the Word of God, a lot of times the Word of God speaks directly into our lives and it is opposed to what we love, opposed to what we like, opposed to what we want to do. And So the question then for us as Christians is not only do we detest the Word of God, but are we willing to stand under the scrutiny of God? Are we willing to stand under the scrutiny of God? I posted this on my Social media this week, it's a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, he has a book, uh, Studies in the Sermon on the Mount. I go through it every couple of years. It's one of my favorite uh, books. It's a book of sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it says this. So there's two parts. I'm going to go to the first part first. Thank God His terms are easy. They are just this. Speaking of our sin and confession and, and salvation. Here's God's terms. Here's the first part of His terms. That I face and acknowledge this sin in my life and confess it utterly and absolutely that I stop any self-defense or self-justification, though there was a provocation from another person. I just confess and admit it without any reservation to God. Stop right there. There's the second half I'll get to in a moment. Can we, will we, stand before God and just be wrong? Well, we stand there under the scrutiny of God's truth and just admit we are wrong. Or, does the Bible have this strange, (laughs) where did that come from, tendency to just align with the things that you like and agree with? That's not how the Scriptures work. You see, our tendency, church, Christians, our tendency is to want to shorten the list of sins in Scripture so that we can present this kind of modified list to God of our guilt. Look, God, yeah, oh yeah, well, that, I mean, I don't know. Culturally, that's not a sin. I don't know. That, I feel like that's not really a sin. Well, that, that shouldn't be a sin. But here, look, oh, I'm very guilty of these acceptable sins. God, that's my guilt. That's not the answer. The answer isn't shortening the list of sins. The answer is taking serious the list of sins that God has given us. So the question will we stand under the scrutiny of God is said this way. Are we willing to own, own, mine, the darkness and the hurt of our sinfulness without candy-coating or self-justifying? Are we willing to do that?
The quote finishes this way. Here's the good news. Indeed, so we've, what Martin Lloyd-Jones is saying is you confess now fully, without filter. You're groveling before God. God, I am this kind of sinner. He says this, and He will tell me all is right. Hear the good news of that? He will tell me all is right. This is His quotation, what he, what he is supposing God says. Indeed, I will forgive it all because though you are guilty and a foul sinner before me and the bill you owe me is one you can never pay, I have sent my Son into your world and He has paid it for you. He has canceled it. That church is our motivation for being able to stand before God and let Him scrutinize us. Let His Word speak into our actual sins and the actual pain that our sins cause. You want an experiment, a topic that tends to flare people's distaste for Scripture is money. (laughs) I mean, the Bible talks about it. Jesus is very clear what we ought to do with it. But when the pastor starts talking about money, it tends to kind of, well, I don't know about that. Let's just skip it. Let's not talk about it at this point. Now, grace doesn't generally have an issue with generosity, but in the hearts of all of us is something that's not generous. And so if I were to give a financial update right now, there would be many who'd be like, man, he always talks about money. So, just so you know, giving's down. So are expenses. But if we're going to continue in the mission that God has called us to, that we've agreed that we're on, giving has to increase. That's just where it's at. And we believe that that God has called us to do that. And so that's a moment where we can experiment. Does my heart push against that topic or does my heart embrace the fact that I'm a guilty, ungenerous sinner before God? And yet there is a, a sense in which I have been forgiven at all. Why? Because Jesus Christ came and died for my dis or ungenerosity. My lack of generosity. I'm making up words all over the place today. Isn't that great? And I said earlier, I think... Ahab was onto something. Listen, standing under the scrutiny of God is not something that's fun. Yippee! <laughs> Guilt! Woohoo! No. Like Ahab, we should want to hate God's word because it speaks so loudly of our awfulness. In that moment where we hate what we're hearing, we can maybe get to the point where we are getting to the depth of our sin. So if the scripture never rubs us the wrong way, if it never rubs us the wrong way, if it never challenges the way we live, either we're ignorant of or ignoring the Scriptures, or we're completely and and drastically self-unaware. Only the power of the Spirit. Can we accept what the Bible says in our sinfulness, and as Martin Lloyd-Jones loved to say, in that desperation, fly to Christ. The difference between us and Ahab is when Ahab hears things he doesn't like, what's his response? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Enter Micaiah. Okay, so short confession. This is one of my favorite Bible stories. I'm not actually quite sure why. It has a lot to do with Micaiah. Micaiah only appears here. Kind of an obscure story. Uh, He plays this really intense role. I believe that part of, uh, of the reason I love Micaiah is the sarcasm we'll see here in a moment, but uh, this story has some controversy to it. It's, if you look just at the verses past where we stopped reading, there's this whole thing where God is, 
it's an image of God with all these false prophets there, and he sends a lying spirit to be in their mouths. And you can think, well, why is God lying? It's not really God lying. It's, it's a whole thing, and that's not where we're going to go today. But I, I love the story. There's intrigue, and there's, there's controversy, and there's conflict, and there's this, this sense in which this prophet, uh, with all abandon, is committed to the Word of God. I love Micaiah. He's one of my favorite characters. And so as we look at his role in this, the, the diagnostic question we can ask ourselves, so with Jehoshaphat, we can ask, can you recognize God's Word? Can you recognize God's Word? With Ahab, we're asking, do you detest God's Word? Will you stand under the scrutiny of God's Word? And with Micaiah, we can ask, are you committed to God's Word even when it gets hard? So here we have Micaiah. Uh, the, the messenger comes, and what does the messenger ask him to do? He says, listen, all the prophets are so positive right now. King Ahab's feeling these positive vibes. Let's keep that going. Micaiah, you must just go with the flow. Say something nice about King Ahab. And what is Micaiah's response? As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. He's committed to the Word of God and the Word of God alone. He will not be bent or twisted or uh, uh, coerced into any other message other than the Word of God. And so he arrives, and the story continues in verse 15, and, and, he, and Ahab says, what do you have for me? And it's great. This is, this is probably why I like Micaiah. Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. You, you have to read that with dripping sarcasm. He is quoting from verse 6 and verse 12 the, the, the false prophets. Micaiah, the sarcastic prophet. Oh, king, yes, of course. You'll go up. You'll, you'll do just fine. You'll do just fine. And Ahab isn't buying it. <laughs> I want you to just, we need to pause and soak in the irony of this for a moment. Why isn't Ahab buying it? He's not buying it because he knows that Micaiah only speaks the word of God. Okay? We know that from the passage. So first, he knows that Micaiah is true. He's the true Word of God. He's, the, he's a conduit for the Word of God to him. So he knows that. So the fact that his false prophets had at this point the same message as Micaiah, he knows it's not true. He knows it's not true. You see, the irony here is he would rather hear what he wants than what he knows to be true. He'd rather hear what he wants over what he knows to be true. Is this not human sinfulness? This is the irony of human sinfulness. We'd rather hear nice lies than hard truths. And we'd rather live like these lies that we know our lies are true because they're nicer rather than trying to figure out what these hard lies have to say, hard truths have to say in our lives. This is the way the world interacts with Christians who teach Scripture. What do they say? They come to us and they say in verse 13, let your word be like one of them. Speak favorably. That's what the, word, the world is asking us to do, church. Speak favorably. Speak things we want to hear. Here's the message. Here's the script. Go for it. And what must our churches and our individual responses be? It must be, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. We are not called to give nice lies to the world. 
We're, ta- we're called to give hard truths, which are good, loving truths that, that we are sinners. And because we are sinners, Jesus Christ came to die to, to fix that, to repair it. We have good news, church. You understand? We have a, a package of good news to deliver. And on the front end of that is bad news that must be believed for the good news to be good at all. Eventually, Micaiah comes out with it. He says, listen, these prophets you're, you've hired, they're liars. You are destined for destruction, King Ahab. As the story unfolds, King Ahab uh, goes out and he tries to fool God by putting on a disguise. But the Word of God comes true. What's, what is important to mention here, though, is again, there's no moral to the story. Like, well, now that Micaiah spoke the truth, he lived happily ever after. No, it says here in 26 and 27, and the king said, seize Micaiah. Take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And here's another reason why I like Micaiah. Here's what he says. He's being dragged away to go to the dungeon. And he says, if you come back in peace, I did not speak the word of the Lord. He didn't say, help me, no, please. He's resigned to the result of his commitment to the word of God. For all we know, he died in that dungeon. We never hear from him again. But Micaiah, what guts? Where do those guts come from? They come from his commitment to the fact that God is the source of truth. God is his salvation. God is his shield and his hope. And so the ultimate good of the life of all three of these characters, Jehoshaphat's mentioned only here and then those few verses at the end. What is their, what is their claim to fame in 1 Kings? It is the fact that they recognized and were committed to the word of God. And so as we look at, I mean, in some sense, all of 1 Kings, but specifically 1 Kings 22, what is the thing we can pull away from this? What's the thing, the nugget we can take home with us? It is this, that the Word of God is consistent, it's convicting, and it's complete. The Word of God is cons- consistent, convicting, and complete. The Word of God is always the Word of God, and we can know what the Word of God sounds like. It doesn't change. It's convicting. It tells us of our sin and how much we need Him and how much we need Jesus Christ. And it's complete. We don't need any other thing. We don't need any other thing. All Micaiah needed was the Word of the Lord. Now for those of you that may not be familiar with the Bible, I want to just make a few clarifying statements. The the Bible is not a book of rules. There are rules in there. But the Bible is not a book of rules. It's not just a book full of wisdom. It's not a book that tells us of a moral way of living. No, it's a love story. The Bible is a love story. It starts in eternity where there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God in three, and they have this eternal love for one another. Perfectly satisfied. They have all that they need. And then the rest of the story unfolds as God creates humankind and invites them in to that love, through the, the, the life, the death, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The Bible's a love story. It's a story that goes like this. We were created to be with God. That's why we're created. That's how we're designed. When, when we are where we're supposed to be, what our purpose is, we are with God in His presence. 
However, our sin caused a separation. Our rebellion against Him pushed Him away from us. There's a separation that we can't close. And so God, in His love, again, invites us in. He redeems us from that separation through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if we have faith that that is true, in the end, when Jesus returns, we'll be reunited. We'll be brought back into that whole relationship, that satisfying place, that place where we will thrive, and not only survive, but thrive with God for eternity. Where we were designed to be. If that story intrigues you, if you find that interesting, all you must do is confess that that is true and that Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life and you will partake in that. That is your moment in the love story to partake in it. God is inviting you in right now through this truth that there is a place, a way for you to be with Him, your Creator and Father. And it's through Jesus Christ. Christians, I want to remind you as well that this is not a book of rules. <laughs> it's not just a book of rules. It's not just a book of wisdom. This is our love story from God. We have to remember this is a love story from God, our Father, to us, to me, to you. When we sit and read it, we're not just taking in information. Sometimes that's what we do, but when we sit and read and we're with God, this is God speaking to us as a loving, doting Father. He's attentive to us through His Word. His victorious love was demonstrated by God the Son. That's what this story is all about. And then that, that, that love, that, that truth is applied to our lives through God the Spirit. Triune God is active in bringing the Word of God to reality in our lives. Now we live in a time, like we mentioned before, we're being asked to water down, if not abandon, the message of the Scriptures. We're being asked to do that. Times will get tougher for those who stand by Scriptures moving forward than they ever have been here in this country. They're going to get harder. The, the, the demand to, to shut our mouths about what the Bible has to say is going to intensify and increase. But, but what must we do? What must we do? We must not abandon the Scriptures. As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. That must be our call, church. We must commit ourselves fully, once again, to our biblical world view. So, where do I get my personal identity? From the Scriptures, from, from our biblical worldview, from knowing who God is and who He says I am. Where do I get self-esteem and, and personal value? From seeing who we are, the wretch that we are, and yet Jesus Christ came and died for you in your place. That's the truth of the Scriptures. This question comes up more right now than it has in a long time. Where do I find the answer to social justice issues? Right here. Our biblical worldview speaks into that. What should we do? What do the Scriptures say? Is this right way of thinking? Is that a right way of thinking? What do the Scriptures say? Can we recognize our Father's voice in all of that? As we navigate relationships... The Scriptures, our biblical worldview, is the thing that will keep us grounded and anchored, not tossed to and fro by the waves. As we spend our money, as we raise our children, all of these things, every aspect of life, all of it should be guided by our interactions with the absolute truth of Scripture. 
God's Word. So do we need to recognize God's Word better? Are we having struggles detesting God's Word? How do we stand under its scrutiny? How can we become more committed, even in hard times, to the truth of the Scriptures? Here's the answer. Jump in. Read the Scriptures. Know the Scriptures. Learn the Scriptures. Believe the Scriptures. And obey the Scriptures. We need the Word of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, You are good. You are loving. And You are God. (laughs) You are the King of everything. You are Creator. You're the Rule Maker. And Lord, may we as Your children here on earth in a time just like times before, like King Ahab with his idea that he wants to only hear what he wants to hear in this time, in this world that's not new to the planet, but we live in it, and so it's important to us, Lord, help us to be committed fully to a biblical worldview. Not just any biblical worldview, but the the one that comes directly from Scriptures. May we be faithful to partake in Your Word so we can recognize our Father's voice. May we be willing, because of the sacrifice of Christ, and our assurance of pardon, be willing to sit under the Word of God and its scrutiny of our sins. May that sanctify us. May it root all kinds of evil out of our hearts. Greed, racism, hatred. Lord, I pray that we, as a church, would be courageous like Micaiah. No matter what end might come, we can't orchestrate outcomes. But we are called in the moment to be committed to the Word of God. I pray that that would be so. Lord, thank You for calling me to be one who declares the Word of God weekly. I thank You for that. I pray that You'd continue to help me to be scrutinized, to recognize Your voice, and to be true the Word of God at all costs. Give us all courage. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.